Hello and welcome to Brain Injury Bites, a series of bite-sized podcasts helping brain injury survivors and their families and friends. My name's Ashwani and I'm a Senior Associate Solicitor at CFG Law. I act on behalf of clients who've sustained catastrophic injuries, including traumatic brain injuries. I'm also a Chair and Trustee of Headway Warrington, uh, which is part of the National Headway UK charity, which helps um, support survivors of brain injuries, as well as their families and friends and carers. I'm joined here by Brooke Trotter. Brooke, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Brooke Trotter. I was run over in Manchester when I was a student in 2007, the 15th of May, two o'clock in the morning to be precise. And I've um, lived with the residual effects of the traumatic brain injury ever since. So this is a series of podcasts based around the experiences of sustaining a traumatic brain injury. And Brooke and I will be talking about his specific experiences and the advice that he can give for other people who might be going through a similar thing. We'll also be looking at what support can be given to those who are um, uh, suffering the effects of a brain injury, um, as well as helpful hints and tips um, to family members. We'll be looking at the the basic needs that someone has immediately after a brain injury and how we can progress them on in their recovery. And a lot of our discussions will be centred around um, a concept known as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. For those of you who aren't um, necessarily aware of what this is, uh, Maslow was a psychologist who devised um, a pyramid structure of a hierarchy of needs, starting at the very bottom with what a human being absolutely needs to survive, and then moving up through the different levels of this pyramid um, to achieve their full potential. So your basic level, uh, basic level needs, for example, could be physiological. They could be um, the need for food, for rest, for shelter, but then also add on um, financial issues, love, belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. I'd like to start really by talking about um, Brooks' um, experiences um, and particularly looking at the the first um, few days, weeks of um, your brain injury, Brooke. Um, could you perhaps share with us um, what happened to you, what your story is? Yeah, it was a night out in Manchester. As I was a student at the time and it was just basically a normal student Monday night out and... Um, We'd actually been to see a band. Um, my friend had was mates with these lads who were, in, who were in this band. They were called the Cortinas. They've since become a lot more famous, but um, they were just a, just a lads band at the time. So we've been to see them. It was the Intergate Locks area of Manchester, if you know that. Um, I was walking home. I was walking down a street called Oxford Road, and I, um, I crossed over what is... It's called Chepstow Street. And I, obviously, I don't know. I don't remember. I have no memory of this. Um, There was a car coming towards us from the left-hand side. Um, Witnesses say up to to speeds of up to 50 miles an hour. He'd slammed his brakes on. He'd lost control of the car under braking. And uh, the car had skidded. I'd made made it over the road and I'd made it to the pavement, but it skidded onto the pavement. He um, hit me from the left, well, from my left-hand side. My head went, my head went straight through the windscreen. I was then um, obviously 
unconscious people. So, so I, f- I find this quite lucky, really, because um, he, he he driven off. He somebody obviously seen me, phoned the police, uh, phoned the ambulance rather, and they um, they obviously picked me up. You know, credit to Northwest Ambulance Service because they picked me up. They took me to Manchester Royal Infirmary Hospital. I think that it's important to to note how quickly you were um, you were treated at the scene. Um, I mean, thinking about what we call the golden hour, if you like, um, in terms of um, addressing a brain injury, a traumatic brain injury. Um, just talk us through that. Do you, I mean, I, I appreciate you won't necessarily have any memory yourself, but from what you've been told of that first hour, what happened to you? Yeah, it's it's pretty critical. Is the first hour because um, something that was famous at the time was um, a guy called Richard Hammond, who's present Top Gear. I don't know if anyone knows that, but um, he was he was uh, filming driving a jet car along a, um, a runway in York, and he uh, actually crashed the car, and um, he'd had a severe brain injury like me. Uh, but I think the difference is. He was, if you actually watch the video of that, the ambulance is there within seconds. What happened to me was your brain has been rattled about inside your skull and um, your brain's like any other part of your body. It, it just, if it's injured, it starts to swell. Um, and you get something what's called intracranial pressure, which is the pressure inside the head's building up basically. And um, the the race is on to get that, um, get that treated. And... Mm. Um, because yeah. there's nowhere for it to go. No, either. because there's nowhere for it to go. Yeah, and it obviously crushed itself inside. Um, so the you know credit kudos to the the paramedics that treated me. Um, they're called Luther and Jonathan, and I've met them. Um, which was really Shout nice out for to me. Luther yeah, and Jonathan. <laughs> which is really nice for me because you know from their professionalism, I, I I don't know how long I was uh, there, but obviously I was uh, I was taken to hospital pretty quickly judging mm. by the you know the state of what I've been able to recover to now and I hate to use the term lucky because it, it really isn't but in a way in a sense you were lucky that where your collision happened was actually relatively close to Manchester Royal yeah so you were able to get to hospital within a fairly short time yeah I was yeah, very. It's a funny word. It's a funny word that lucky, isn't it? Yeah. That's not that people who've got a brain injury go get told that a lot of the that they're lucky, but um, but it's it's not. It's, luck. it's not. But yeah, it was. It's fortunate that I was in that situation and in in um, in Manchester really because where they have such good. I was, you know, I was then passed on to what is now Salford Royal, but mm-hmm. was then Hope Hospital, which mm. are the, one of the leading neuro units in the country. So yeah. if I was from my, if I was in my hometown of Scarborough, then I would have had to have been airlifted to the nearest neuro unit, which is Leeds or Hull. And I would have been, you know, that's your golden hour gone, isn't it? Yeah, so, it's time lost. Yeah. So no, the the fact that you were able to um, get to, to the, your nearest major trauma centre pretty quickly has probably improved your outcomes. Yeah, what they did with me was um, obviously they have to let the pressure out and um, it's it involves <laughs> drilling a hole in your skull. And mm. um, I had a, what's called a shunt in my head, um, like a little like a little valve in my head. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the nearest to brain surgery that I've had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... 
Am I right in thinking that after that you were managed quite conservatively, as in they didn't perform any surgery on you, they just monitored you to see how you got on? Yeah, yeah, I didn't have... I mean, you see some people with, like, massive scars on the head because they've been... They've had, like, a large section of the skull removed. I didn't have that. I had... I just had... Um, it's a little... They've got a little little scar under my hairline and um, it's an excuse to shave my head <laughs> in the past. But, um, yeah, that's all I've got. Obviously, when um, the collision... You, you have no recollection of your collision, um, of the collision or what happened. Um, there's something called the Glasgow Coma Scale, which um, which monitors somebody's um, responses. Do you know what your Glasgow Coma Scale was? <clears throat> so Glasgow Coma Scale is a, 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 level, um, a scale of three to 15, I think. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scored on three different things, I think it's... Um, it's So whether whether your eyes are open um, and whether you're sort of reacting to to any sort of any visual prompts. So yeah, and uh, for each one of those, you can get... Um, the lowest you can get is one point. So, I mean, I was, I was the three on the Glasgow Coma Scale, which is actually as low as you can go. Yeah, gosh. Um, so that's no response to really anything. No response anything. to anything at yeah. all, no. um, Which is very serious. And I know that's um, that's often used as an indicator of the severity um, yeah. of, of a brain injury. Um, so, so you were three. And do you know if that rose, um, how long it took for that to rise? I don't know you don't how know. long it took to rise, no. But um, I just, I'm just aware of the, the paramedics got me there quickly and, you yeah. know, I had, I had really good care, so... And, and talk to us about the um, how your family found out. My mum was obviously at home in Scarborough, and um, which is like 100, 115 miles away, I think. And uh, she got a knock on the door at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I believe, and uh, which obviously she was... My dad used to work away in uh, the Middle East, so she was mm. alone in, a bit in the house and she was pretty, you know, obviously terrified to see the police at the door. Mm. And, um, yeah, he said that, you know, his son's been involved in a really serious accident and he'd got the, got the nurse that was caring for me on the phone. She, speak, she spoke to my mum and she'd said, um, just, you need to get here as quickly as possible. And something that's traumatised my mum ever since is she said, like, um, he is going to still be alive when I get there, isn't he? And she says, I can't promise you that. Just get here as quickly as you can. And um, so, yeah, obviously she drove to Manchester. Um, um, yeah, it's a pretty ex- traumatic experience for my mum. My dad, he was in Azerbaijan at the time, mm-hmm. and he said um, he'd got a call off my sister. He knew, obviously he knew the, the time, what it would be in England back at that, ta- at that time of the day. And um, he, she said that, you know, Brooke has been seriously injured. Um, you need to come home. You need to come home now, Dad. Mm. And he'd um, got on the nearest available plane. And uh, But it's like a five-hour journey back home. So one thing that was quite poignant to me was um, he had a mobile phone and he was obviously off to turn your mobile phone off on, on, the, um, on the plane. And he was kind of reluctant to turn his phone off because he didn't know when he turned it back on again if he still have a son because mm. back when, when he was back in Manchester. So it was a yeah, pretty traumatic experience for both of them. My yeah. my mum when she got there they took um took her in to see me and obviously I think she she said she would have walked straight past me. Um 
obviously my head was swollen like I was told it was like a watermelon um it just been through uh <laughs> been through a windscreen so yeah yeah I wasn't looking my best at the time did anyone prepare her for that I don't know I don't suppose how can you prepare anyone for that I suppose no. but um yeah, it's just, I mean, I have this thing, I have this thing of guilt, really, which is stupid, but you, you do, don't you? Because my mum, she just lost massive amounts of weight when in the hospital. Um, she just, yeah, she was really traumatised by it. And um, you just, you take that guilt on yourself, don't you? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, yes. And although it's easy to say you have nothing to feel guilty for, I guess, you know, you, you know that what happened to you has had a wider impact um on those around you who who love and care for you um so you started off in manchester royal um and then you were transferred to um salford yeah hope um, hospital at Tambridge was yeah salford well it's now salford royal hospital yes so what um can you talk to us about the sort of the treatment that you were having there I was. I mean, this was this was in within a few hours. Really, it wasn't like a long stay. I was. Um, I was transferred to Salford Royal when I was still in a coma, and um, I went into ICU, intensive care unit, and um, I'd apparently. I don't know what the time scales are, but I think I'd moved. I don't know what day it was. I think it was day sixteen. Um, there was people just going in, you know, could sit with, you know, you're allowed one at a time and people would sit, hold my hand, stuff like that. And um, I was, um, my sister actually kept a diary of this time. And my dad actually came in one morning and he says, you know, come and look at your, your son, your, your brother's beautiful blue eyes. Oh, beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> and because um, I'd, I'd gone in, he'd gone in one morning to see me as, a, as he usually did. Yeah. And I had ever so slightly opened my eyes and could see you could see the blue of my eyes. And yeah. um, it was quite a moment for them because I was, you know, waking up out of the coma. And that was that was day number day number sixteen. And I um from then I'd got moved into HDU, which is high dependency unit, um, and then another ward called B eight, and then um finally a ward called C2 in Salford Royal Hospital, and that's the neuro recovery unit. Mm -hmm. And um, that's actually where my, um, that's where my, that's where my memory picks up. Because okay. I remember walking down the, the middle of the road, uh, walking down, sorry, I remember walking down the middle of the, the ward and um, seeing my bed and I had all like my family put all familiar pictures of you know family and friends and stuff like that all around there and um, I'd actually been in hospital in Scarborough about a year before um, for some drunken injury I'd broken I'd broken my um, ankle so um and I had to have an operation and that's where I thought I was for the for the duration of the right, the okay. So you step. didn't know. What I knew. Happened. I even knew what. Um, I even knew what room I was in. Um, I was convinced of this, and I was taken. Um, was it eventually took somebody to take me outside in the wheelchair to prove that I was not in Scarborough Hospital. <laughs> and you mentioned that you know it was quite a while um, later that 
you you woke up from your coma and then you know quite a while before you you sort of um can remember anything specific and in a in a later episode we'll talk about um post-traumatic amnesia um I know you don't necessarily remember yourself, but um, from what people have told you, what were your first words? Yeah, well, everything, everything from here is um, from what I've, what people have told me. The, the the first words I'm actually incredibly proud of. I don't know if you should be, but I am. I um, so there used to be a healthcare assistant would walk around like making hot drinks for the family, and. Um, or whoever was sat on me at the time and they'd said um don't like a tea tea coffee or hot chocolate and i used to have hot chocolate and um my sister was about to order hot chocolate bear in mind i hadn't said anything to this work to this point they just thought i was um they thought i didn't know if i was going to be mute for the rest of my life and um just before my sister had a chance to say hot chocolate i'd said can i have half stella please love (laughs) and i um why it was half a cellar, I don't know. I can only assume because it was in hospital and um, drinking pints are not the no, it's not the done thing in hospital, is it? So. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> funny as it is, I'm sure it was also of uh, great comfort to to your sister and I your family. That think my family were like, yeah, he's back, kind of thing. So. <laughs> That's our boy. <laughs> So I think at this point, it would be helpful just to share some help and advice for our listeners. And I'm thinking particularly for um, listeners who may be supporting um, a family um, member or a loved one through a brain injury, um, and particularly in those early days. So you'd mentioned, for example, um, that your mum didn't recognise you. She, she could have quite easily walked past you because you just didn't look like you. So I suppose... Um, what our message might be is, you know, when you're visiting somebody in hospital who's just sustained a brain injury, to be prepared for the fact that they may not look like they should, that there will be tubes, it will be quite distressing um, to to see. And um, perhaps it's also one for, you know, clinicians, police, etc., to to prepare um, the family for that, that, um, you know, what they're about to see is going to be quite shocking um, for them. I mean, there's only a certain amount you can prepare people for mm. what they're about to see, especially if it was like a, a trauma, but, um, and also just how they are as well, because you think you're going in to see that same person, but if it's, if they've had a brain injury, that person's changed. You also mentioned about how your your mum had lost a lot of weight, and I suppose that was with the the trauma of everything that was happening, and and obviously spending a lot of time, I imagine, by your bedside. Um, but I think it's important um, for family members um, to remember that the importance of self care as well. Um, that to be strong for the person you're supporting, you, it's okay to take time out and look after yourself. Um, it, and it's important, in fact, that, you know, you take time out to to make sure you're eating properly, to make sure you're getting enough um, sleep and rest um, so that you can be strong for the person that um, you're supporting. Yeah. I, I don't know if they'll get as much sleep and rest as they, they could do, but it's just certainly to look after yourself as much as you can. Yeah. And, um Make sure, make sure you're eating is another thing because if you, um, although you don't feel like food, make sure, make sure you eat something. Mm. And um, because, yeah, if, if you're not strong yourself and you're not going to be able to give them the best care in the world, are you? No. 
And did your family take turns when it came to sort of sitting at your bedside or? I think my mum and my immediate family were pretty much there all the time. Um, People, I had friends that come in to see me as well, but um, I think one thing where we're quite lucky, last was it only applies to us specifically as a family because we're from Scarborough. Um, my sister actually lives in Manchester, so that my mum just basically moved into my sister's house for about six months, mm. and um, yeah, they just had that as a base, and they were going to the hospital from uh, the start of visiting time to the end of visiting time every day. Yeah, yeah, um, and that that can also be quite a big impact when if you're having to visit in um, a completely different town or city to where you live and yeah. travel, um, you know, you could be tra- spending a lot of time traveling in and out or spending a lot of money on accommodation nearby. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's um, there's support available. The, I think, I believe the Salford Royal had um, accommodation there. I don't know how nice it was or what, but... Um, I knew. I know they yeah. stayed in those accommodations sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know it's also important to to ask for help from people. You, you know, in addition to to family, of course, there'll be friends and wider members of the family that would be concerned and and wondering how they can help to support you and your family. And I suppose it's it's being able to say, you know, what I need some help. Please, can you? Um, I don't know, put my bins out or bring me food or... It's one time, I guess, you'll get you get offered more help than you know what to deal with. And yeah. it's um, that's time to to say yes um, and let people, let people help. Because one, it'll make them feel better that they're doing something and, you know, it's going to help you yeah. because they're helping you. And there's no shame in asking for that support no. at all. Um, but I think as well, and this is something that I've come across quite recently, um the importance of asking questions of the clinical team. Um, obviously, the clinical team, their top priority is trying to get you back on track and trying to do everything that they can to promote your recovery. But it's also important that they take the time to communicate what's going on um, with um, with somebody who's been injured um, and that this family understand uh, what's going on, what to expect, what's going to happen next. Um, I know recently I've... Um, I've been working with um, a client and his family and um, the mother had no idea as to what was going on. Um, I'm sure COVID restrictions um, possibly played into that a little bit, but nevertheless, um, she just had no contact from the clinical team for quite some time. I guess it's something that they're going to be dealing with every day and they know like the back of the hand, isn't mm. it? I mean, it's the, the families don't necessarily have a clue, so they would no. have to start again with every, every new family. And it's it, sometimes it's also just that acceptance of well they're in the hospital they they must be in the best possible hands which is fine but it's important to understand that you know this is where we're up to and this is what's going to happen next just to prepare going back to that um, that point we made earlier about being prepared for what's happening um, so don't be afraid to to ask questions don't um, be afraid to come go up to nurses or doctors and say can you just tell me what's going on what does this mean um, because it will put you in a better position to to understand how you can support um, your loved one thanks for that brick that was really helpful um, and really interesting to hear about your story 
So in the next episode, we'll be looking more in depth at the initial treatment that you had in hospital, your experiences whilst you were in hospital. We'll also be looking at post-traumatic amnesia and the fake environment um, that you've described whilst you're in hospital and the the sort of memories in in, um, inverted commas that were being formed. Make sure you check out the footnotes for more help, advice and resources.